Hey, Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye listeners. A quick word about the following episode. Regular listeners know that we are an adult podcast. We use adult language. We talk about adult things. And then at the end, we ask if it's appropriate for children and normally say no. But in this episode, we are discussing the films of Kevin Smith, known for not really having any sort of filter in talking about all sorts of deranged and filthy stuff. Even our intro has some crazy stuff in it. So, the following episode may contain discussions of <clears throat> sex, nudity, body parts both male and female, bodily functions including scatological, sexual fluids and their uses, sexual assault, necrophilia, bestiality, gay sex, lesbian sex, group sex, and drug use. If any of this offends you, Please feel free to join us in our next series when we promise we won't be so filthy. We're really, really sorry. Not even supposed to be here today. What did you like better, Jedi or The Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. Think of the children! Empire had the better ending. I mean, Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his father, a uh, hand gets frozen, take away by Boba Fett. It ends on such a down note. I mean, that's what life is, a series of down endings. All, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. You know how much money the average jizz mopper makes per hour? Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? You hate people, but I love gatherings. Isn't it ironic? You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Nope. Well, what about these two? Oh, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I don't appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. My love for you is like a truck bell sucker. Would you like some making fuck Belzaka? That's fucking funny, man. My love for you is ticking clock Belzaka. Would you like to suck my cock Belzaka? That's beautiful, man. You know, there's a million fine looking women in the world, dude. But they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome back to Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, a movie podcast where we talk about movie franchises, and here we are in a brand new series on the Kevin Smith films, Clerks, the Clerks trilogy. Uh, here it is in all its poorly aged glory. As we call it, Kevin Smith's disappointing cannoli. <laughs> Clerks. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now you have to explain the whole joke. I can't even go back no. to it. But anyway, you no. never, you never want to to have a bad pastry when you're in high school. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you have pastries for life. You know what? <laughs> can I you make me high? Anyway, okay. So. Okay. So, I'm Andy Wilson. I'm your host. With me is our our entire uh, lovable ma- band of misfits and dope addicts. Um, here we go. Uh, the the entire Quick Stop crew. Um, 
Melissa, our returning champ, who chose this franchise for us. Yes. How are you doing? Thank you, Melissa. Sorry in advance. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Yes. A heater. A heater to start us off. Um, uh, I apparently also very disappointed by this film, my younger sibling, Kit. How about you? How's how's everything going with you? I'm I'm savage. Just a savage wow. walking around this town. <laughs> Bunch of savages in this town. Specifically <laughs> talking about, apparently, uh, your area of Seattle, Tacoma at yeah. this point. Yeah. Yep. Bunch of savages in your area. Um, speaking of savages in the town, our Salt Lake City crew, uh, headed up, of course, by Brooke. Brooke, how are you doing? Well, the lights are on in my bathroom, so I'm doing better than some. <laughs> well, that's true. Considering the power outages y'all have had and the weather. Um, uh, speaking of also dealing with the inclement weather in Salt Lake City, JB, uh, your your lights on? My lights are on. Unlike Dante's, take him out of this movie. Fax no printer. Okay. Wow. Also bring in the heat. Whoa. We have a lot of opinions about clerks, don't we? Uh, holy Hannah. Okay. Okay. Who saw this movie when it, when it first came out? Like, okay. Preface this with like, almost no one saw this in the theaters. It got a very limited release. But Andy, I, when, did we, when did we watch this? Cause I think. You oh, I've got, a, I've got a story about how I was introduced to this. <laughs> I'm wondering if, if anyone. It's probably more interesting than the movie, so let's hear it. Um, <laughs> Kit, our dear mother introduced me to this film. What? She had rented it. And then she said, I think you should watch this. They're very funny. They talk about Star Wars all the time, just like you. <laughs> This is the most your mother's story I've ever heard. I love oh this so much. Gosh, I think that's going to be my favorite thing. Because she's like, what movie are you guys talking about tonight? And I'm like, Clerks. And she's like, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, nope. <laughs> our, um, our mom, after we met, Andy? Before. <laughs> this was like, this was summer of 95, probably. I think it was yeah, summer of 95. It I'm might. pretty sure because you had me watch it, I think, in the summer. I think we hung out and watched it. So That wouldn't surprise me. That had to be, that had to be right. Yeah. Because I, I went through a Kevin Smith phase that lasted from, from basically from that point until like 2003, 2004. I'm going to talk more about that later. Um, uh, but yeah, um, so, but Kit, obviously our mom did not tell you to watch this. When was the first time you had watched it? I want to say that JB and Davey made me watch this. <laughs> this this, this, this right. is a very uncomfortable trend we're getting here, Kit. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was something that I had missed out on, obviously, and... Mm -hmm. I did really enjoy the Star Wars references. I think the first time around, I probably didn't get all the sex jokes, or I was very offended by them. I remember being. Yeah, I didn't get honestly, most of them. Yeah. The first time, just like the second yeah. time. 
I feel like Davey was was good about making sure any of the jokes did not go over our heads. That's very true. Like, he he made sure that we really understood. It's it, he was he was specifically that point on the uh, on the autism spectrum to make sure to explain all the jokes so you know why that they're funny. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, no, I feel like, I feel like he would pause it too. He would like pause it. Yeah, he had good manners sure. about it. Yeah. 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 Oh no, definitely. Definitely he would definitely pause it and then explain why the joke was dirty and why it's funny. <laughs> yep. Our old roommate Davey. Uh the uh the Randall of our crew. Yes. Sure. Um Melissa, what about you? When when do you first remember Clerks? I it must have been at least a year after it was released, probably because I I don't remember seeing it in the theater at all. I know for sure I didn't do that. But, you know, back then in the mid-90s, I mean, we didn't have Netflix or anything. And things took a while to go from, like, the theater to home video. So it must have been around the time it went on to home video, basically, back yeah. when home video existed. Um, so, yeah, I would say that it, it – at least a year after it was released probably but um it was still mid-90s because i remember being uh working for heb which is this big grocery company here in texas and um i could relate to some of the customers and how they were treated and still can and like that's one thing that's still very relatable but it's just so annoying now like in a different way um, with all the hindsight, the way they presented and stuff. But I remember being like, just relating to that aspect of it, you know, being a disrespected, like clerk, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it must've been at least a year after it came out. Yeah. And I, I don't know, how did, how did you react to it? Cause it was such a different film at the time then, you know, it's right. grainy and black and white. And I remember part of the hype being like, oh, he, he was, uh, he used to be a clerk in a convenience store. And like, um, I, I think when, in fact, when, when our mom told us to watch it, they like, they filmed it on the security cameras in the convenience store. And it like looked like it, you know, anyway, but hmm. I, what, what, what were your first impressions coming away from it? So my initial reaction, I, I kind of liked it because, like I said, I could relate to it. Um, I thought the black and white, the use of black and white was probably sending a message, but it also felt kind of like artsy-fartsy, you know? Like, I, mm -hmm. I art, but when it's artsy-fartsy for the sake of being artsy-fartsy, I'm just like, eh, you know? Um, but, you know, I was way more cynical than I am now, believe it or not, back then in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, it was a cynical decade. I mean, what could you do? But... Um, I I think my first impression I liked it overall, but I really was offended by the women being uh, insulted for their sex lives and for you know yeah and and did they really have to do that to Caitlyn? I mean, come on, like you know it it just um but but real what was offensive to me is the way Dante didn't uh appreciate his girlfriend who was seemed pretty fucking awesome just veronica rules yeah he's the best he, he's the best character in this movie and and she gets sidelined for a fantasy which is just ridiculous but 
also insulted because of you know her her sexual prowess let's say um yeah i that even back then in the 90s when i was somewhat oblivious to some of this stuff that it was at the level that even i uh who couldn't see the forest for the trees very well back then noticed and did not like it yeah i mean i i have no basis of comparison i was you know often little weird mormon land where <laughs> I mean, at least in my mind, nobody ever had sex with anyone before before they were married. Um, little did I know all the debauchery that was going on behind the scenes, but not around me. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I was like a little shocked. But um, yeah, there's there's stuff that is not aged well. I think the the slut shaming and just there. I don't know. It's not misogyny, but it's like really close to misogyny. The way that this film treats it's all of its weird, female characters. It's weird masculine insecurity. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the biggest problem of this film is you, you again, Randall doesn't have enough screen time because he's exactly what you want out of this movie mm-hmm. is a dude who's just like, let's make it difficult for bad customers to get what they want. Right. <laughs> Because again, those of us who work retail, that's exactly how we feel. Right, that's funny. I have yeah. such mm-hmm. a struggle with the Dante character because it's that this film is culturally relevant, right, Andy? Like they've put this yeah. film aside as a, why is this film culturally relevant? Is it because it highlights a whole bunch of insecure, whiny men? Is is it how like what's what's the cultural significance of it if Dante is your main character? And I think if it's how the film was made and the generate, you know, what what generated it and the, the the caliber of how it was made and those kinds of things, that makes more sense. But if it's about the characters themselves, um, other than Olaf, which I will say is top ten best side character of all time, um, what is what is the cultural relevance of of this film? And I and I think that's to your point, Melissa. That's where I struggle with this. Is I don't know what is relevant about it other than it just highlights where we made a lot of mistakes in filmmaking, right. It, in terms of characterization. Yeah. Kit, you wanted to say something? I was, I was going to say that I agreed. It seemed like uh, Dante's very fragile. Like when, yeah. when he's like, yeah, he's like, Oh, you know, I've slept with 12 people and, that he was kind of proud of it, but he also was kind of like worried about how his girlfriend's going to react. But then like the 37, or sorry, not 37, the 27 blowjobs, which I remember being scandalized uh, by that. But I was like, she must have been on a lot of bad dates watching it in 2023. Because I can't remember if it was like Amy Schumer or like one of the great female comedians was basically like, Sometimes you just suck cock to make them shut up and get out of there. <laughs> and I, and so I was like, wow, what a giving conflict averse person Veronica seems to be. Um, <clears throat> but maybe yeah. that's my problem. I'm not abrasive enough to, you know, have someone want to interrupt me by just like, oh, I'll shut this guy up. 
That's why I've never experienced any debauchery. We are. Andy has just realized why some of us are on this podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) I will talk until. (laughs) We'll we'll stop talking for oral. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now now you're getting some cultural relevance back. Put put that on the chancla for the year. Oh, yeah. That's. That's a good new tagline. Okay. The literal kiss your franchise goodbye. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I, Kit, you're totally right. I, again, I, I struggle with the characterization, not how the movie was made, right? Because it is very clever and unique, and right. doing black and white, right? Um, but yeah, characterization wise, it, it does really highlight. And I don't remember the '90s well enough to go was was that the general sentiment i mean i i think in utah county right it always was um right. that that kind of treatment of um you know masculinity and uh um relationships and things but anyway well i mean i i do remember that the the like the double standards existing between you know if a guy sleeps with 12 women then he's a hero. But if a girl sleeps with 12 men, then, and that still exists. And, um, and, and the like latent homophobia that is um, present in here, uh, especially with Jay, um, it's, it's, it's just unnecessary. And there's at the same time, I think that this film's saving grace and the only way that you can kind of wash over any of this is when I watch this. Yeah. I view Dante as a complete drag. And I think that the film is presenting him to us, not as someone to emulate. I think if, the film wants us to emulate anyone. It wants us to a little bit emulate Randall and probably emulate silent Bob. I think those are the people that the film holds up as like, these are the people that you want to be. I think the film kind of the whole point of the film and Veronica. Yeah, definitely. I think the film says Dante is a loser. Dante is the ultimate shitter get off the pot guy. He's got nothing going on in his life. He doesn't appreciate the good things that happen to him. And he treats the people who are good to him really shittily. And, you know, and I mean, and um, the original cut of the film, Dante dies at the end. Gets a shot. Guy, he gets shot and dies. And he wasn't back. even supposed to be here today. Yep. Um, and it, and it, it brings, <laughs> I mean, it brings me to why, why in the hell is his name Dante? Literally. And I think it goes back to Smith and his Catholicism. And because it's all the, the rings I, of hell listening to his, his uh, script. Well, Dante no, talks. I, 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 I I think this is this is purgatory. Yeah. I think this is Dante being stuck. And um 
and he has to go through all of this. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, if unfortunately for everyone else, everyone else also has to go through all of this and are the, you know, unfortunate recipients of, of his horrible behavior. Like poor Caitlin, poor Veronica. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, unless it, this is actually defending your life and Dante is dead and he's being tested in purgatory to see if he succeeds. I think it's more Which like could the be. good place where Yeah, exactly. It's going back to work on on your day off every day or anal spiders. Yeah. Which is, you know, one of the other things they do in the bad place. So But he's <clears throat> but he's such a pushover. He goes into work on his day off. He he says yes, we'll play hockey and we'll close the store for an hour. But you know, when when his friends show up, he's like, Yeah, okay, you can steal Gatorades. Randall kind of pushes him around most of the day. Um, he he gets a ticket for selling cigarettes to a four-year-old that he didn't even do and just takes it. At at no point in the entire movie does Dante ever actually like do something original or determinative. He's, you know, he's just going with the flow and he's so put upon by this idea that Caitlin's getting married until she shows up and throws herself at him. And then he's like, yeah, we'll go on a date and we'll go, you know, we'll go make out somewhere. Um, but you know, but he has no initiative. He has no, no nothing. I don't think we're supposed, I think we're supposed to dislike Dante. And I think the film does a good job of, of doing that. Very much so. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, and so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So John is, is the king of trivia and he will be looking at trivia while we watch the movie. And he said, there are a couple things. So, that this was actually shot in the convenience store that Kevin Smith worked at and he worked Correct. during the day, shot mm-hmm. the film at night, and then slept like two hours and then got up and did it all again. Yep. Um, that he wrote Dante as himself. And I think that like, wow, what a what a weird way to like push yourself through therapy to basically take everything you don't like yourself about yourself and make them a character and then basically spend the whole movie trying to get that character to move and they won't move so you just kill them because <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that you know Dante I imagine that when Smith started out he had great ideas about having some sort of catharsis and like movement for Dante but I think he just is one of those characters that just doesn't cooperate when you try to write them. So he just becomes this little bitch. Um, But at at the same time, it's the, it's the, uh, the, the genesis of his entire oeuvre, his entire like creative body that like he has to excise this piece of himself out of his soul to move past it because unlike Dante, he's going to, he's going to grab the ring. 
he's going to do it. He's going to be the one to create something. Um, you know, Dante just wants to keep working in a convenience store and won't even like consider going back to college. So, you know, Kevin Smith is the anti Dante in a lot of ways or Dante is the anti Kevin. but yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, Another fun fact about that. Uh, he was so exhausted at the end of their, um, at the end of their filming when they were filming the the big fight scene at the end, he literally fell asleep on set several times. He was oh. just completely exhausted. So, oh, poor guy. Yeah. So, so this is this is Kevin Smith's shadow work. Is that what we're? Yeah. I don't know what shadow. Interesting. Work is. But oh, uh, the other thing, Melissa, is it wasn't shot on black and white because it was artsy fartsy. It was because it was cheap. And the nineties, you still had to shoot everything on actual film. Mm. And so that was the cheapest film that you could get was like the quality uh, black and white bad. Um, But I think what the cultural significance of this is, is this was, I don't know if, I don't know enough about film history to say like there was a strong indie film market before this, but I think that that was kind of like why it was culturally culturally significant that you had a person who made an independent film and it got picked up by a huge company got by uh, like Miramax and it got this million dollar soundtrack that is like was listening and I'm like holy cow this soundtrack is amazing yeah what the heck and I was like how could he afford this and I'm like oh it must have been put in after he got picked up by Miramax. Um, but I also think that this is the beginning of the rise of the geek. And it is like, and so I think that is, you know, it might be also the rise of the whiny white, you know, fanboy. But I think it, it, for overall, I'm grateful for the rise of the geek. And like that, that was something that Smith really brought out in pop culture. And, and Smith, Thanks in the credits, um, uh, Jim Jarmusch and Richard Linklater. And he said, you know, he's, he said he saw Linklater's Slacker, which is filmed here in Austin, and said, well, hell, this guy's doing it. I'm going to do the same thing. And I feel like, and, but nobody saw Slacker. Um, people didn't start seeing Linklater movies until probably the before trilogy, but um, were like his actual like big hits. But, um, you know, he, this was a, this was a hit, a cult hit, but a hit nonetheless. And I think inspired a lot of other filmmakers who said, oh, he went out and could do that. I can do that too. Um, Robert Rodriguez is also in this same class who, you know, went and, uh, paid for his first El Mariachi film by um, uh, by letting them do medical testing on him, <laughs> so he could get he could get thirty thousand dollars together and uh, and film his movie. Uh, but it's the same spirit of like, I've got this thing inside of me. I need to get it out, and and a a market existed for that because yeah, um, you know companies like Miramax. 
existed that are like, we're going to go find these young, hungry artists and exploit them. Um, and, uh, you know, pick up these films and get them distributed. So, you know, there we go. And, and hence we have, you know, Kevin Smith and a lot of Kevin Smith imitators. So, Melissa, I think you've been sitting on something. I feel like we were meant to like Dante. We were meant to feel sorry for him. Hmm. Uh, That's, that's the take I took. And, and so I, I'm surprised that I, I seem to be the only one who took it that way, but no, it, that's that was mine no? too, Melissa. That's okay. why I didn't. That's why I didn't like him. Yeah, I, I, um, he's a sad sack who won't get out of his own way. And in some ways, though, especially when I was younger, uh, I mean, I, I used to be the queen of self sabotage. You know, um, I think all of us at some point in our lives have probably done that, but I like did it almost chronically because he's afraid of what'll happen if he tries, if he stops being put upon and Mm -hmm. tries to find something that will get him out of this, like this just little vortex that won't do anything except make him miserable. This misery vortex he's in, you know, he he can't step outside of it because, Oh no, what'll happen if he's actually happy. And for me, it was like, I think I was afraid of losing that happiness more than, being able to live in the moment of it, you know, and I, so I can relate to him, but I still dislike him because guys like him, the white guys who grow up thinking that the world owed them a living or something. And he strikes me as one of those people, like he thought it would come to him because it does to a lot of white boys, but it didn't come to him and now he's just bitter and he can't get out of his own fucking way to try and go do something because life life will give you you know a white boy like that it will give him things that he doesn't necessarily deserve but he at least has to try if you're not rich you know what i mean and he's clearly not rich so he has to try a little he'll get Mm -hmm. way more than he deserves but he has to try a little and he won't and that fucking aggravates me so bad yep Mm -hmm. It's, it's the Anchorman thing. I hate when there's main characters who are dumb or lazy or vapid and they and they win, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And you could say at the end of this, Dante wins even though he does absolutely nothing mm-hmm. the entire film. He doesn't learn. He doesn't grow. He doesn't make any decisions. And, and all we have at the end is this pseudo belief that he's probably going to get everything he wants. He's yeah. going to get his girlfriend back. He's going to go back to school, all these things. And he doesn't deserve it. None of and it. And I'm with Melissa. Yeah, right. I hate I hate the character. And I hate most of the characters who are written like that because it's entitlement wins out by nature of right the voice it's written in. So I, I, I saw it the same way, Melissa. And that's one of the reasons he drives me nuts. So yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah. yeah. I think point. we were meant to like him. I and there were movies, and I oh, I wish I could remember the names of some of them. In that era, where the sad sack, down on his luck, white dude were supposed to cheer for them, and I'm like, no, 
I, I'm not going to fucking root for you to get something you don't deserve. Like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. It, it, it irritates the shit out of me. And and the thing is, I didn't notice this at the time. The thing that irritated me the most was, like, the, the slut shaming. That irritated me the most when I first saw it in the 90s. But now, mm-hmm. so many things irritate me about it. And um, if we didn't have Clerks 3 already to know how this story goes... I would have guessed that he was still a sad sack because, um, and I think the only reason why he he wasn't a sad sack for a while between two and three, not to get too ahead of things, is because of a woman and not because of him. Mm-hmm. Sense, y'all? Like, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think you make a good point, Melissa. Um, I felt the same way about mall rats, is that we're supposed to like the dude and really he's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, with TS or Brody? Brody. Okay. I yeah. Um, it's I mean, been so long well, since I've seen it. So I, that, I, that very name so is I, unlikable. <laughs> right? Named after, named after Sheriff Brody in Jaws, ironically. Which is well, as Brody a last name, that's fine. But first yeah. name, come on. Brody. No, it's a double Jaws reference. Brody uh, for Chief Brody and Bruce for Bruce the Shark. It's a double Jaws reference. Anyway. Sorry, that's the Jason Lee character. No, I I think you might be talking about T.S., the Jeremy London character, who just, like, is so upset that Brandy Svenning, like, went on the game show instead of going with him to Universal Studios. Yeah, but, Brooke, you're you're totally right. Sorry, I went on a Mallrats tangent. That's for the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Brooke, continue. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I didn't see this movie, so I know we already got done talking with that, um, but I didn't see Clerks until many, many years after I watched Mallrats several times. Um, my first husband introduced me to Clerks. He's like, I can't believe you've not seen it and you've seen all the other ones. Um, and I felt that way going into it, Melissa. I was just like, why is, <laughs> why are we supposed to like this guy? And I'm pretty sure my husband only introduced it to me so I could learn certain sex ter- terms. Um, oh. Because I didn't know God. very much back then. And let's just say it didn't go very well. Clerks is <laughs> I was not interested that... and I thought the uh-uh. whole show was garbage except for um, his girlfriend who was amazing. And, and I did and I still do really appreciate that she didn't for one second try to get him back. And she just exited with her whole self. Like, I really, if they did anything right in this movie, I think it's that. And I think that's probably the only thing they did right. Except for looking back on it as a timepiece and being like, yeah, we were garbage. <laughs> Society was garbage in the 90s. And this is a really good representation. Not on purpose, but at least we can look back at it and be like, well, we've got a long ways to go, but at least we're not clerks anymore. Yeah. I mean, at least we're trying. So I think like this, and I'm trying to think of another one, maybe like Empire Records, that like the characters have what I, what I termed gilded cage syndrome, where you're scraping by and you're safe. So, but you're not happy. And so you stay there because you feel safe there, but you know that you're not happy and you know that you're making bad choices. 
but at the same time to make any change at all is terrifying and so it's like I don't really feel bad for him but I also kind of get it and I'm like I think the 90s is kind of like where we are now where there's just this vast like division of wealth and getting jobs was very hard at least jobs that paid and like making a living was difficult and adulting sucks so it's like I kind of get why he's making the decisions he's made I just don't have any respect for him or like I don't like him I I think he's I I think that maybe on the surface he's meant to be likable but I think there's no way that Kevin Smith likes this guy like I just I don't see him like if he's writing himself I don't think it's like oh poor me like I just I can't see him liking it if if he died at the end yeah I would probably have a different viewpoint of the lesson learned right well, and I think that's where yeah. that's where I go with Melissa on it because they rewrite him to live and almost win yeah. but I'm with you kid if he dies at the end then it makes perfect sense and I, I think, yeah, that that whole purgatory idea makes it much more interesting uh, as a, as like, oh, it's like the bad place. Uh, but yeah, it, but it's like, I think it, John said that Miramax made him change the ending. That's correct. Yeah, because it did not. People did not like that ending. People are like, oh, that was the really funny. And one? then it got dark. Yeah. Well, they because the original ending was Dante got shot and died and Miramax when they wanted to buy it at Sundance they're like you need to change that ending and you know old, I haven't old... seen two or three so I didn't know if you were talking about future movies or no no I'm talking about the original cut of Clerks which if I I don't know if it's on the current Blu-ray but the the version that I have which is Clerks X which was the 10th anniversary edition had the uh the Dante dies scene on it and so that's that's out there it's probably on YouTube I'm sure someone has uploaded it if you I mean it's there's nothing to see it's just he gets shot in the chest well and and there's more in the isn't there like funeral don't they animate the funeral events instead so they actually show you what happened they did yeah there's a there's an animatic of uh where Kevin Smith had written out what happened in the funeral and had scripted it, but they didn't have the money to pull it off. So they're like, okay, well, we don't, we can't actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can't get a casket. We can't, um, we can't film inside someplace that looks like a funeral home. So we'll just, we'll just say it happened. And yeah, we can, we can shoot in the car. <laughs> we can afford to shoot in the car. Uh, and, and so they, yeah, they, they had, um, I want to say it, it was a friend of Kevin Smith's uh, do an animatic of that original script. There's a bunch of stuff on the Clerks X DVD. It's actually a really great set. I wish they would have um, kept all that when they, um, when they updated it to Blu-ray. Um, but, but yeah, so um, anyway, uh yeah, but he, but yes, um, old, 
old Harvey scissor fingers um, made Kevin Smith change the ending of Clerks in order to make it at least somewhat marketable. And it worked. Um, by the way, um, just I, I, I just need to like put this out there um, that Kevin Smith has both done a really admirable bull and also a not great job of sort of reckoning with um, his his past uh, work with with Harvey and Bob Weinstein. Um, what is admirable is after all of the Weinstein allegations came out, uh, he he said that any money that he would make off of his Miramax films from that point forward, uh, 100% of the profits he would put into a fund to support female filmmakers, which is great. Um, but he has, he, when, when asked about it, he's like, I didn't know anything. And all I knew is, you know, Harvey cheated on his wife sometimes. And, um, you know, I just thought he was a bad guy, but I didn't know. I didn't really know what was going on. And I'm like, eh, I don't, it feels like everybody kind of knew. And I'm anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but, um, thank you, Kevin Smith for actually putting your money into trying to remediate some of these bad things that have happened, but. I still, I don't know. Anyway. The Weinsteins. Screw those guys. Um, okay, what, we've spent a lot of time ragging on this movie, though, but what <laughs> do we like? Like, there's, there's obviously stuff that we like in this movie, right? Or do we not? Just Olaf. Just Olaf? 100%. This is an Olaf. That's... Well, and Randall. It, I think we talked about it. You know, Randall's an, an excellent balance to this movie. Um, I actually think Randall is who we all strive to be in some ways, right? Just the no-nonsense, who cares? I mean, he's, he's a good paradox to Dante's annoyance. Um, I agree. I, I think Veronica's awesome. Um, Jay drives me nuts. Um, and, and then I agree with you. I think silent Bob in some way is the, the final touch point of the, the premise of the movie. Um, but the, the, the randomness of the film I think is endearing in the characters just come in and out like the chewing gum representative, um, you know, characters come in and out that kind of are like life. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, the, I guess there's some good one liners, but they're not as funny. I don't know, Melissa, they're not as funny now as they yeah, were in 94. They're really not. It, yeah. it, that is true. Yeah. The comedy didn't really age well. And, and what I, the impression I got when I was watching it in terms of the comedy, um, because I, I remember when it came out, people were like, the, you know, the, the, like they they were just saying how brilliant it was and one of the brilliant things was that he captured people in their natural setting saying and doing things they would normally do but really this felt like 
if a bunch of guys got together and all the the little funny or what they consider brilliant moments out of years of working in a convenience store they just put them all together it's like a greatest hits and, and i know this because i i didn't work in a convenience store but i worked in a grocery store for years and nobody sits around talking like that you know um even if you have a lot of time between customers which which in a grocery store is much more rare than a convenience store probably but even if you had time between customers nobody talks like that all the time you know you have maybe moments where you might say something clever but nobody's that clever all the fucking time so this felt like all the greatest hits you know what i'm saying i have no doubt mm -hmm. a lot of you know maybe him and the people he worked with said a lot of these things but not in one day <laughs> you know what i mean if there's totally. no way um and it just i think the dialogue thought it was more clever than it is and i just found myself being uh, here's this word again annoyed like um when randall is in the video store and the woman comes in wanting some children's uh thing and he, so he's like oh i'm on the phone with the distributor now and so he names out like 20 porn movies and oh yeah the, the this one kid's movie at the end not only is that not funny it was telegraphed you knew what he was gonna do you saw that joke coming a mile away and it's still not funny and that... well and she didn't deserve it she wasn't annoying yeah. So. yeah she was just looking for a goddamn dvd for her kid you know mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know i i just was mostly annoyed by the joke some of them are funny and clever still um, and yeah, I did not know what snowballing was before I saw this movie. <laughs> uh, I will admit that I did not know what that was. Um, but I don't know if we're better for knowing what it is. Yeah, though, right? exactly. Like, you know, nobody's ever asked me to do that. And I've been asked to do a lot of different things. But I mean, I, I had a guy once offer me $800 to shit on his chest. OK, I've been I've, I've had offers before. I've never had anybody ask me about that. Wow. Yeah, I need eight hundred dollars pretty bad. <laughs> that's, that's, Andy, that's an Andy special right there. You, 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 you. <laughs> but, but you know, I'm changing I, I, my so... favorite quote from this movie, by the way, because just You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's. Uh, but JB to go back, I'm surprised that you would take Randall's side when his favorite movie is Return of the Jedi. Over, <laughs> I'm not saying he's not flawed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I think he's a better representation of what we all wanted to be when we worked retail. Yeah. Right. I th I and think, JB, you worked retail. I did work. Yeah, I did work yeah. retail. And and I think um, I think when you start, you're very Dante, and then by the end, um, you're you're very much Randall um, in in that regard, right? Where mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I don't think disrespecting customers is is the right way to do it, but I think there's that. Um, oops, I accidentally went on break for 10 extra minutes and went and saw my friend at Taco Time right down the street. Well, I mean, yeah, that's uh, 
that that's the trouble you got into at, at that shop co yeah that was more it was, for that it was, taco time yeah know? it was us hanging out with our friends in the you know in the parking lot or in other departments and those kind of things but yeah i i think all of these characters are are very flawed and you know melissa you, you raised a great point i i i don't know it's a tough movie right because i feel like we're asked to identify with somebody in it um and I kind of didn't want to with any of them, even though I think there's pieces of all of us in the mid nineties in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know. I don't know, Melissa. It's one of those where my studio note would be, I don't want to say rewrite this with real people, but do it with characters that have a growth arc or something. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what your take would be on that. Yeah. So like studio notes, honestly, I, I, I know it hasn't aged well, but that doesn't mean that we don't need relics of ages. And oh yeah, as, as a Gen Xer, I, I would leave it alone because it's it's it, it kind of shows you what the '90s were like, in a little bit of a microcosm, in a sense, because uh, white entitlement that people were blind to, uh, blatant misogyny. I am going to call it misogyny, um, Andy, mm-hmm. uh, and and slut shaming. People, because our generation, I think, was just starting to figure out that we weren't going to have it better than our parents. And we were going to be the first generation in a while, maybe ever in in history that we could say that about. And we could already see, like, like by the time this movie came out, we were already being told there may not be money left for us to get Social Security when we're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And the thought that we were stuck in these menial jobs, kind of like Dante, like, even though it's kind of his fault, but, you know, some people really are stuck and not being able to, to feel that forward motion and not being able to go get help, which he clearly needed. Cause to me, he was clearly depressed. Oh no, Brooke's oh, gone. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, because the nineties wouldn't allow you to admit that you needed help, you know? Um, True. Especially I, if you're a guy. Yeah. And yep. so I feel like this shows you so much of the 90s. It needs to stay intact. We don't want to forget that. And I think this, the, the best thing about this movie is it, it's a reminder. And we don't want to go back there. Does that make sense? Oh, no, no totally. <laughs> so my totally. story is actually don't change a goddamn thing unless you want to maybe make Dante a little less annoying. (laughs) (laughs) We just need compression. All the characters need compression, right? The wavelengths need to come down just a tiny bit. I think think that's the, I mean, but you're so right about this, like capturing in amber the essence of the early 90s and Mm -hmm. Gen X. And I remember there was a Saturday Night Live sketch about the same time. Um, with oh why can't i remember her name the the actress but she did the like the delta 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 girls but it was a it was like a town hall with bill clinton and she's like where's my stuff Uh, other people all these other people they have stuff and i don't have stuff where's my stuff and phil hartman as bill clinton's like yeah, we have to understand that this new generation, you may be the first ones to have less stuff. And like, and 
like yeah that was that was the vibe of the 90s that like True. yeah this uh, like things are not turning out great um and i mean to go back to what kit you were saying like even though like yeah it felt like getting a job was hard making a living was hard like by the numbers it's so much worse today than it was uh 20 30 years ago uh i mean it was hard then it's um but it like seems to like double in difficulty every 20 years so that that kind of sucks what i what i'm really mad about and this is just my general madness about the 90s being a teenager in the 90s was that i honestly believed that there were jobs in the arts in the 90s that <laughs> really <laughs> yes because everybody oh. in high school your guidance counselors are like yeah just work hard and you know whatever you want to do you can do and I'm so mad at the teachers and the guidance counselors that were saying that in the 90s, knowing full well, oh, my God, that is so unlikely. And especially huh. for for young women in Utah, like, oh, you want to go major in film at BYU? Yeah, you're definitely planning on having a job, aren't you? Um, which was what what I I think our stepmother told she's like that's such an mrs degree um oh really yeah and and it's like but at the same time as angry as that made me and how ugly it is to have that told to you it is not bad advice because i have to say like i can actually live on my income like right now and a lot of my friends who went into the arts ended up working as janitors I mean, it's like really brilliant, talented people working as janitors and convenience store clerks with a fucking bachelor's degree in theater or costuming or music. And it it just it makes me angry that uh, that we were told that that's a viable major. It's like, why do you even have those majors anymore? Um, (laughs) I will I will just give a shout out to. my to some of my BYU friends who just got nominated for an Oscar today. That's uh, for... fucking awesome, though. Yeah, and I. It but I mean, a crap ton of hustle. Yeah. So, um, uh, shout out to to Hubble Palmer and Jared and Jerusha Hess, and um, just just awesome. I mean, Jared and Jerusha have been very lucky um being able to make a lot of films since napoleon dynamite but um yeah hubble way to go man so great job anyway um um but it's like i mean but the at the same time like i always thought like there was no way i could make it in the arts i which is why i didn't like pursue film even though like I, I kind of tried to, um, like because of Kevin Smith, um, I, I had a writing partner named also named Andy and we wrote films and we, we filmed them and uh, they were very, very, 
very influenced by Kevin Smith. It was like, it was like, what if Kevin Smith, but Provo, um, and, uh, yeah, looking back on it, they were not great. Um, because of that, because we were so obviously like aping what Kevin Smith was doing, but it didn't make me like seeing clerks and seeing chasing Amy, like did make me want to make art to make film, but I just never saw it as like an actually viable career. Um, which is why I didn't like major in it or, or anything. I'm just like, let's try this and see if it works. And if something comes of it, great. And it probably won't. And if not, then it's like, great. Well, we, we made a fun movie together. It was a fun, like summer project that we worked on, but, um, yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah. I, I just, uh, growing up, I felt like I kept getting told like, no, you gotta, you gotta be a doctor. You gotta be a lawyer. You gotta get a MBA. Um, or you gotta like be a computer programmer. Those are like the four things you can do. Maybe it was gendered. Maybe it was just like, that's what I was being told versus what you were being told. No, but, I think um, I was being told the same thing just to shoot lower. Ugh, that's terrible. But in fairness, I was not great at school in high school. I was really undiagnosed ADHD as a bear man. And and other mental illnesses. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I mean, I only figured out that the only reason I was ever able to overcome my ADHD was my, um, my other trauma responses to try to be the golden boy and like... He's super achieving. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I made it to my junior year before. I'm like, no, I really need help. (laughs) Uh, I made it to my late 30s. I don't know. Or, I don't know, mid 40s. (laughs) Anywho. um, We are all messed up. Thanks, Kevin Smith. My guidance counselors also try to tell you, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. But I'm Mexican, so I didn't fucking believe him. You were smart. See? Yeah. It's not just because you were Mexican. It was just also because our, you know, that that's just fucked up advice. Yeah. Whole fucking world's against you, man. Yeah. Town's full of savages. Because they were all boomers and not to get into the okay boomer stick because i i hate that shit nope preach um but they they did things differently the world was different and they didn't bother to realize that the world had fucking changed and and they were the ones who changed it and then tried to sell us a bill of goods that we were going to have the same opportunities as them and we weren't and we didn't and we still don't and so fuck you for that yeah, exactly. And shame on you for continuing to hoard all the wealth and the opportunities while, you know, while your grandkids now, like, have to work three jobs for, yeah. like, basic subsistence. Oh, but hustle. Like, they make it sound like it's a, a fucking, uh, like, a virtue to ha- have a side hustle. No, motherfuckers. That means you don't have a life. Yeah. yeah. That's what that yeah. means. 
yeah. Um, Sorry. I'm, I'm sure. No, I'm sure you loved it working your your forty hour a week job that meant that you could afford a mortgage and a new car every five years. Yeah, like the world nobody work that way nowhere. No more. Yeah, yep, don't work that way anymore. And we knew that in the nineties, we we could already see it, and people were like, "Why are you so angry?" Take a look around. If you weren't angry in the nineties, you weren't fucking paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. But also we laughed at things. I mean, yeah. did, I I do think that there are some things in this that were pretty good. Although the, the overwhelming thing that I came uh, through with this watch was tracing my, my sort of latent cynicism to this movie as well uh, with the, the Chulies gum representative that like, yeah, here's this guy telling everybody not to smoke, but he's only doing it because he's trying to sell fucking gum to people. And it's like, oh yeah. And so every time it's like, even if there's someone who like, I kind of like, and I kind of agree with like, you shouldn't smoke. I'm like, what's this guy's angle? What's he selling? What's he really doing? And it's like, I don't know that, but it it captured that '90s cynicism super super well. I think that's another reason why I didn't enjoy this movie. I don't want to have. I mean, I, I'm I still have a lot of cynicism because I pay attention, but like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have that level again. God, that's mm. the level where you need a lot of therapy and a lot of help and I I don't want to have to have that level again you know yeah I mean I'm not (laughs) I'm not a cynical person I want to be an optimist but like the world is so fucking exhausting Mm. (laughs) at least lately Dante is fucking exhausting (laughs) no that's true he certainly is um any any other shining moments, things people liked? Okay, JB, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, you talking about uh, loving Olaf and Berserker so much. Okay. <laughs> what, which part? Like why I love him so well, yeah, much. Well, tell us, like what? So, why do you? <laughs> I, it's it's really funny, and I really appreciate you talking with me about it the other day, and and letting me walk through it. I think the essence of why Olaf is such a great character is, and and you brought this clarity to me is he shows up, takes the movie and and steals it, and then disappears. <laughs> right, like he has nothing to do with the plot. He is nowhere to be found. He does nothing for the story. He just shows up, is incredible, and then he's gone, right? I mean, he comes back again, but the same premise, right? Mm-hmm. And talking to you, I was kind of like, is that the true essence of a really good side character? Or do we need a different title for what kind of character that is, right? Like a cameo or something. But like how I, you mentioned a couple other movies where that that kind of character was was the same, right? Someone who just comes in, grabs the movie, and then it's gone forever. I think I think Christopher Walken is the king of this. Okay. 
and and his one scene in Pulp Fiction where he comes in and talks to you know little man Bruce Willis's the young version of Bruce Willis's character about uh, how he smuggled his daddy's watch out in his butt from Vietnam, and it's like you walk away from Pulp Fiction and there's so much going on, but you remember that scene and it sticks with you. And it, it doesn't have that much to do with everything else that's going on in the movie. Like that could have been left on the cutting room floor, but it's just like, man, that was, that was something. He just came in and he owned it for like five minutes. And then, And then the movie just went on without him. And I just, I think that is so rare. Um, And, and also the fact that this is just like a no name actor who we, we basically never see again outside of Kevin Smith productions. I think he has a small part in, in mall rats as well. And that's it. Um, But but he, he, I mean, Olaf also plays like three of the other random customers in in the store too, which right. is hilarious. They just put different wigs on him. So, like but no, him. and I think that, I mean I think that animated films do that pretty well. I think where they have a random character come in for comic relief and then leave. Um, but this is one of the few I think movies that that really does that. Um, and I like your Christopher Walk, your Christopher Walken reference too, because that is it's surprisingly not necessary to the plot, but so hilariously valuable in the long mm-hmm. run, right? Um, kind of, kind of like Olaf again. I think there's there's levity in a character like Olaf where there's there's no rhyme or reason, but it it kind of separates the the thematic point of the movie and, and does something else. I often wonder how they decided like who's watching this at Miramax going the hell is this Olaf guy doing here? Right. Metal. Yeah. Like that's all the English he speaks is the song. Like that. It it would just be a very funny conversation in my head to go. How did they get him through the, the, the screen? Like did the focus group just love him so much that they kept him? I don't know. I don't know. Kit, uh, Melissa, do you have thoughts on Olaf? Olaf thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, he's definitely one of the the bright spots of this movie. And even to this day, sometimes, like, I hear that song and I'm like, oh, God. I, I, I cannot disassociate it. Kind of like in Agata DeVita and Manhunter. You know what I mean? Like, those, right. they're just going to be always, you know, bonded. But, um yeah, he he is a bright spot because when he's on the screen, you're laughing and you forget how misogynistic this movie is or how much you hate Dante. And so that's a good thing. I like when uh, Willem just wanders in at the end. Um, uh, <laughs> she's like, did he just say making fuck? And he's like, that was <laughs> beautiful man <laughs> that made me so happy <laughs> that's probably my favorite part of the whole movie 
it's such a great line delivery too and and i just got to point out that that guy willem who was the the snowball guy as well um that is scott Mosier, uh who is kevin smith's um kind of like his silent partner uh he is his producer on all of his films um kevin smith met him at the this vancouver film school that he went to for a semester before dropping out and said no i'm gonna go make my own movie in jersey come with me and he's like okay kevin and he like read the script and he's like okay i believe in you let's let's go do it um he has also had a second career outside of the kevin smith movies uh as an animation director and producer uh he directed the uh, the Illumination version of The Grinch with uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch a few years back, and uh, has been involved in like the the Sing and Secret Life of Pets movies and other Illumination projects. He's got a whole where luckily um, Benedict didn't have to say the word penguins. <laughs> penguins. 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 My favorite is that the producers were like, maybe we've been saying it wrong our whole lives because it's Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, but I was going to say, like, that's probably why he, Benedict Cumberbatch sounds so nasal. And maybe like, it's like, you know, you hire Benedict Cumberbatch because he talks like this. Right. And, uh, and you know, then he. he Get a grinch and they've got Willem the idiot man child directing him. It's like, hey, Benedict, be more nasal. Yeah, it's like, hey, Benedict, could you sound like a really annoying American? That's why Mm -hmm. we cast you, one of the best British actors of your age. Um, anyway, but he's also the guy who gets shot in the head by Matt Damon on the bus in Dogma. Matt Damon. Matt <laughs> Damon. I can't not do that when I hear the word when I hear Matt Damon either. That's Matt funny that we all have those. Damon. That's gonna be the anyway. birthday movie this year. Yeah, Scott Scott Mosier. Um uh so as as Willem the idiot manchild, who is a recurring character who shows up in Mall Rats, but is there played by Ethan Supley. Um so who's the guy who is standing at the magic eye poster the entire movie. Um, oh. if, if you remember more rats. So yeah. Anyway, it's funny that like, they're like, Oh yeah, we're, we're recasting the character. Um, and we're getting, you know, the dude from American history X to do it. Sure. Anyway. Um, yeah. Olaf berserker kit. Did you have any other berserker thoughts? Sorry. I started talking about Scott Mosier. No, that's okay. I, I just really enjoyed Berserker. Because um, yeah. I, it, it's funny. I think it's one of those things like Napoleon Dynamite where the, you might not love the film, but when your friends start quoting pieces of the film, those pieces of the film become more funny. And so JB was making Berserker jokes in, in the chat. And now I'm watching the movie and Berserker is suddenly much more funny. <laughs> and I think it might have been without JB putting that like in my head that this is going to be great. So, yeah. 
I guess if I was quoting Brooke, I'd say, fuck you, JB. But uh... (laughs) I was waiting for something like that. But I think that's such a great point, kid, because there's so many movies like that. I mean, I, 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 I was just thinking about stretchy pants, right? Like, I remember so little of Nacho Libre, but every time I put on pants, like, or, you know, every time someone in the house has leggings on, I'm like, are you wearing those for fun? (laughs) Because I want them to do the stretchy pants, right? So it's a good point. Yeah. Anytime, anytime I put on sweats, I'm like, son buenos, pero más stretchy. From the the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, (laughs) I understood that reference. (laughs) Oh man! From the yeah, from the uh, Ed Norton Jr. Hulk, Mastrechi. Okay. Um, Any anything else that we that we loved before we move on? Well, I think Melissa crushed it on the studio note, so I'm all for box office. <laughs> Hells yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, the box office for Clerks. It cost uh, thirty two thousand dollars to make. <laughs> well, it cost it cost twenty seven thousand dollars yeah. to make. That is nothing. Like the big, nothing. That, that is probably that is almost for sure the cheapest movie um, that that we've talked about on the podcast. Cause if I remember evil dead was like, yeah, 375,000. See, that's why I have a spreadsheet. So clerks is, um, was fully like one tenth the cost of, of evil dead. Um, uh, it was released, uh, as a quote unquote wide release on October 19th, 1994, um, so this movie turns 30 in eight months. Am I doing my math right? Something like that. Um, it, not a huge release, uh, was never shown on more than 700, uh, screens nationwide. Uh, so only made $3 million, but considering, um, Oh, adjusted for inflation, that's seven point eight million. Considering it was made for twenty-seven thousand dollars uh, to three million, that is pretty damn amazing. Um, so, uh, way to—I don't know—way to go, Kevin Smith, on having a huge multiplier like that. Um, I'm happy to let. I think Melissa did nail it on the studio notes. Um, but wondering if there are any other any other tiny things we might change here. Just take out the whole J, like I'm gay. Oh no, I'm not. Dead. Just take out the the homophobic yeah. like thirty seconds. That's and, the thing, because yeah. J canonically bi curious in. Um, in Dogma, Chris Rock, who is the 13th Apostle, says he's like, yeah, well, if you're an apostle, tell me something only God would know. He's like, you masturbate more than anyone else on the planet. He's like, shit, everybody knows that. And he's like, yeah, but half the time you're thinking about guys. <laughs> he's like, uh, he just kind of looks at Silent Bob and Silent Bob's like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, uh 
like I I just yeah the the homophobia here of like like no just let let JB buy like I think what he was talking about was funny um he didn't need to like come back with the you know the no homo kind of comment like I'm not gay I love women like shut the fuck up just embrace it you're cool dude I think I think that and the other part I think is the unnecessary guy dying in the bathroom mm. that traumatizes Kate like that that part I think was like do we uh, need to do that to that character as well can we yeah could we do something better for Caitlin that yeah sort of like takes her out of the picture um it's so I I don't know it's like how do we how do we both I mean it feels like it would be better if she would have shown up and like kind of kind of teased it that like she was going to get back with Dante and then being like no you know what you suck and I'm not and she's just like breaks his heart again um that would have been that would have been better I also don't like the fact that they focus so much on saying that she cheated on him um because I'm like I don't know like again the movie's like slut shaming I feel is a little um yeah like I, I'd like to round out. I'd I'd like for them to be a mismatch. I'd like her to be the one that got away for other reasons other than she cheated on him. Um, which would allow you to use a Katy Perry song, which Miramax would also approve. Thirty years later, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, if this movie was, uh, it was, would be the naked. it would be the Alice Cooper version, I think, in this yeah. in the universe. Yeah. Um, okay. Any, anything else? Okay. Um, best one-liners or quotes. Holy Hannah, we could be here all night. I mean, obviously mine is anything Olaf, the Olaf song is great i mean the uh-huh. whole berserker is just great um but the, uh, yeah those would be mine I, I love the the speech he gives him at the end you know like just take accountability for your own shit um it's it, very ironic that 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 comes from randall um you know the the biggest fit of acting in this film is him just laying into him um, but yeah, I mean, would you like some making buck is by far the best line in this film. <laughs> Cause what is that even? I mean, come on. <laughs> that makes yeah. No sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, if you don't want to say entire monologues, uh, you can also just give a summary of, uh, the whole thing about contractors on the, <laughs> on 
<laughs> like it's stuff. a Friends episode, the one about the contractors. <laughs> that actually is really a great conversation. Yeah, it is. I forgot yep. about how, especially then that you have the random roofing guy who's like, you have to be careful about who you work for. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> could have died. Could have died. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I like when Randall just kind of like tries to like push him a little bit. Like when he's like, you know, you overcompensate for having what's basically a monkey's job, and like, uh, yep. It's like you're obsessed with making it so much more epic, so much more important than it really is. Christ, you work in a convenience store, and badly, I might add. I work in a shitty video store badly as well. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, you know, but I think that the difference is like, Randall's not complaining. He's like, I like this job. I can get away with anything. I can watch porn while I'm at work and close the store for half the day. Nobody gives a fuck. So, whereas like Dante, it's like, shut up, dude, shut up. So. The fact when Randall tells him to shut up, it makes me happy. Yeah. Melissa, do you have any favorite lines? I didn't write any down because I was mostly annoyed. <laughs> That's fair. I didn't write any down. Fair. I'm looking at IMDb right now. That's yeah. fine. Um, mine is uh, the, you know, it's always the silent Bob line that... Mm -hmm. um, that sums up the entire movie it says, you know, there's a million fine looking women in the world, dude, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. Um, See, I kind of like that better about the mostly cheating. Like, come on. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the last part of that, mm -hmm. but I really like the, like, you know, saying like, Hey, why are you looking why are you looking past this when you have someone who's obviously awesome? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, best side character. I mean, we know what JB's is. Yes. Sing it. Uh, dang it. Do, why? Do you also have Olaf or? No, I just wanted JB to sing the Berserker song. <laughs> I was like, I was trying yeah. to think of what it would be like. My favorite guy is named Olaf Berserker or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is making lots of rhymes Berserker. <laughs> and then I come back in different wigs, Berserker. <laughs> <laughs> Watch me as I'm breaking eggs, Berserker. <laughs> so good. Because that is that is him. He's the guy who's like looking at all the eggs. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, we made a song. That's wonderful. Um, Melissa, who's your favorite side character in this movie? Uh, I mean, Veronica. Duh. Veronica. Yeah. Yes. yeah Veronica, Veronica is the correct yep. answer. Veronica is the correct answer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, okay. Best song. Oh. There's some, there's some fun on, on this album. I have two. 
but it's hard to okay. pick, like it's hard to pick like I'm ashamed to say that the Soul Asylum song I have to own. Don't that be I really, ashamed of that. That I love it. Song. I'm like I remember like not really how I feel. And yeah. I and I was just like I was singing along with it and I'm like I remember not really liking this band, but I know every single word of this song. So I have to admit that it's probably my favorite because I can't sing all of Chewbacca What a Wookiee, which it would have been my initial, my initial, like, What a Wookiee! That's the best. It's a great That was the number one reason I bought the Clerk soundtrack was because it had the Chewbacca song on it. Hells yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, the okay kevin smith directed the music video for the soul asylum song on this oh. in which they reenact the the playing hockey on the roof scene um and this began a lifelong friendship between kevin smith and dave perner uh who uh then goes on to contribute a song to the clerks 2 soundtrack and he scored Chasing Amy. Kevin Smith was just like, hey, dude, you have, you, have you ever scored a movie? And he's like, nope. He's like, do you want to? Sure. So Dave Perner wrote the score for Chasing Amy, the lead guy from Soul Asylum. So there we go. Just a couple of Jersey boys. Um, JB, favorite song do I have to ask? <laughs> well, so the worst song, as you and I have talked about, in his historically is stabbing westward because yeah, they, they have not aged well either. Honorable mention to bad religion. The bad religion song is fun. Because that's a tremendous song. But the, yeah, yeah, the correct answer is got me wrong. Alice in Chains. Okay. Well, I thought you were going to say berserker. (laughs) Well, It's not, I mean, it's, it's it's the acapella is better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, M- Melissa, uh, do you you had mentioned "Got Me Wrong"? Yeah, as you were watching. that is the correct answer in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that is a very I have to agree good answer. Yep. We are in agreement that that it is just such an undeniable song, and um, Alice in Chains is just. I just think they're so like criminally underrated and like that was not like a big radio hit or anything, but it's, it, I don't know. I think that's one of their best songs too. Mm-hmm. I love that, song. um, that entire sap EP is pretty good uh, along that, that this is also on um, best kill or death. I mean, do we include Dante in the, well, is it is it um, bath back room bathroom heart attack bathroom heart attack boner guy? I guess so. I mean, it's Ugh. memorable. It's the only. It's death. memorable. Oh, <laughs> the funny thing is, like, I don't know how they cued it, but I remember thinking, "Hey, they just locked up the store for like an hour. What happened to the guy in the bathroom?" Like, see, you're smart. And you so, remember. but it, like, it, like, I, there was something there, though, I think that twigged that. And like, two seconds later, you find out he's dead. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> That's, that is what <laughs> happened. 
So um, I think I think it was not my favorite death of all time, but it was clever. And I I personally kind of thought it was funny that Caitlin got traumatized by shagging a corpse. But, you know, really unhygienic because it's in the bathroom and the corpse. And it probably yeah. smelled like shoe polish. That's how she should have known it wasn't him. Didn't smell like shoe polish. Yeah. Point. Good call. Um, Did anybody? Were there any other deaths? I mean, you could count the racks of candy, the Clark mm-hmm. Bard when they fight. The ball. Whoever's lung that was. Yeah. That oh, the geez. Kind of up. That one. The cancer. That, that's probably. The, I mean, I think that's the only actual death. Other yeah, than whoever the only at the funeral. Oh yeah, I mean. Um, Oh shoot! What's what's her name? Um, oh, usually I'm I'm good at remembering the Fewisk Universe names. Just, uh, for for folks who are also going to go on and watch Mallrats, uh, there there is a tie-in. the The woman whose funeral they go to is also the cause for. Um, Brandy Svenning to have to fill in on the game show uh, because she died. So in, in mall rats anyway, um, come listen to us talk about mall rats on the Patreon to dive more into that. Uh, but she died swimming and also had a heart attack. Yeah, I guess that that's probably, I mean, that counts as a death kind of off screen, but happens in the movie. If you want to count that. Isn't um, that how the guy who wrote Rent died? But not swimming. He just liked to swim. Hmm. Sorry, I just watched just like Tick, random, Tick, Boom. Random heart attack? I can't remember. Jonathan Larson? He had aortic aneurysm at like oh. 35. Oh, hmm. Sorry, cut that out. My That's bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, best death, Jonathan Larson. Um, RIP. Uh, thank you for your contributions. Anyway, um, okay, here we go. Is this a good movie? No. <sighs> to Melissa's point, is it a movie that should have been made in the cultural zeitgeist? Yes. Is it one I would watch and enjoy and tell other people to watch? No. So is it good to watch? No. Is it good in to Melissa's point? Is it good that it's relevant and speaks to a point in time? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. Yeah. Agreed. I'm, I'm also on the like, yes, it is a good movie that like daily ages more and more poorly. (laughs) Um, But, it's it's just sheer will of like here's a guy who had an idea and you know sold off everything he had and went into a bunch of credit card debt to like make it happen like there's something admirable about that and he really captured something that still resonates and i think that's 
Agreed. That the, I think that's I, I pretty agree. amazing. The, the process is the the part of this movie that's important, right? I mean, yeah. $27,000 is ridiculous to pull yeah. off what he did. So Yeah. I think of all these low-budget films that, that got made, like, in this era, he did his with the smallest amount. I think it goes him, Rodriguez, because, um, like... Linklater had like, I think like a hundred thousand dollars for Slacker, maybe like 80, 90. Um, but he had a little more. Um, and that movie looks a little better anyway. It's, but just amazing that they, that they got that done. Um, okay. Is the main character a good person? Interpret oh. that how you will. <laughs> I like how you led that. Sorry, Randall's great. No, Randall's not even. Randall is a lovable piece of shit, but Dante. But he's a bad person. Dante. And Dante is especially a bad person. Dante. Well, he's just he's he's a mediocre person that has no drive to actually do anything except complain about it. So my my question is: Is any character except Veronica a good character? Um the the caged um uh the caged animal inseminator and the uh um and the medical examiner they're both good people yeah and the people renting videos well i don't know i think that some of them were assholes yeah some yeah. of them were, were fine i don't appreciate your ruse your cunning tricks <laughs> um uh yeah. Uh, what is that line? She's like, it's important to have a job that contributes to society. That's why I'm a caged animal inseminator. Like, uh, uh, there we, it's important to have a job that makes a difference, boys. That's why I manually masturbate caged animals for artificial insemination. Um, that's a good person. They make a difference. And so does, and so does the medical examiner, examiner who shows up. Um, uh, I will throw this out there. I don't think that Dante is a good person or a bad person. I think he is a neutral person and therefore in so many ways, the worst person of all, because at least like an evil person is like doing something. He is just so right in the middle and lets everybody just push him around and step all over him. He has nothing going on. Kit, you're calling him mediocre, just right on the head. And, and so it's like, because he is so neutral, that somehow makes him so much worse in my mind. Yeah. I mean, chaotic neutral is the worst character. It is. Yeah. It's like, it's boring. Well, he's lawful neutral, which is even worse. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, we have to follow the rules. And was like, I'm I'm not even supposed to be here today, but I'll show up. Oh, that's and, true. You know, his personality awful. is chaotic, but he does. He is lawful in that regard. But he is. Yeah. He's. Yeah. Ugh. So is Randall then chaotic good or chaotic evil? I think he's. Hmm. He might be chaotic neutral. Well, I don't know. 
I feel like I, Randall is semi good. I think he is. And there's, uh, well, I mean, spoiler alert for the next two movies. I think he is trying to, in some ways, make the world a better place and wants to make the world a better place with like what his hopes and desires and dreams are. So I think that makes him better. In a lot he of wants to make movies. He wants to make movies. Better. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Melissa, is, I'm assuming you're saying no on Dante is not a good person. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Um, should we show this no. to children? Jesus Christ, no. God. This is, yeah. This is one of the first in a while where I'm just like, no, absolutely not. Even not under good circumstances. Ugh. I'm trying to think what's the last film I would not have shown. Uh, Evil Dead, maybe? What's the last film we would not have shown to children? Um, okay, I can go back through all of them. Uh, you've got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle, Joe versus the Volcano, Spirited, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, Babe, Bull Durham, All the Screams. Indiana oh, Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Well, that was Kingdom just terrible. Of, yeah, Kingdom of the done. Crystal Skull, Barbie, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom, Raiders, Saturday's Warrior, <laughs> Evil Dead, Evil Dead Rise, Evil Dead, Cabin in the Woods, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, Army maybe, of Darkness. Maybe, I mean, were any of this... I feel like the Evil Dead are harder on people than Scream. I, I just... I think Maybe that like the, the un there's, but there's a certain thing about it being a horror movie that like your kid might be able to handle it if they're the right kid. I think that this film's like sort of underlying ethos is kind of morally corrosive in a way that only one other film on this list is in my mind. And that is Saturday's warrior. Um, <laughs> That so, is not the one I was picking, but okay. <laughs> I went a long way for that joke. I like that one. Okay. But but I mean it is in the certain in the same way it does like I I think that there is something sort of morally objectionable about what this movie is trying to say. And um and and since Melissa is comfortable with calling it misogyny, then I'll I'll call it misogyny as well. Um like I, I think 2003 me would have been like, I think I could sit down and watch this with my kids. I would not sit down and watch clerks with my kids right now. Mm -hmm. Having thought about it even more. So what a difference 20 years makes. Yeah. I probably wouldn't watch evil dead rise with the kids either. Hmm. That's a little too torture-y. Yeah. Yeah. That's I would definitely watch Saturday's Warrior with them and be like, guess why I turned out the way I did. <laughs> <laughs> just don't just don't believe any of this stuff. It is terrible. Terrible for your soul. Okay. Um, well, there we go. Melissa, 
even though this was like a somewhat painful experience, I'm really glad we watched this movie. I agree. Yeah, um, I agree too. Yeah. So, so thanks for bringing this to us. Uh, next week, Clerks two. Um, I don't know. Anybody want to preview anything? Like anything they want to tee up for next the week? Budget is way higher. It is. I'm not <laughs> sure that it's better. <laughs> uh, the, um, but it Rosario Dawson. That's what we have to look forward to, and uh, the Jackson Five musical number, which is maybe one of my favorite things Kevin Smith has ever filmed. So you you do keep another good soundtrack. You do. Yeah, yep. you, get the, you get the you get my favorite. Well, my second favorite Samantha Fox song. Yeah, which Naughty Girls Need Love too. You you get another Soul Asylum song. You do. You get, alert. You get a yep. really good Talking Head song. Yeah. So it's not bad, not bad. And and they're gonna shit all over Lord of the Rings, JB. So I know. Get ready. But that's what chaotic evil people do. Yeah. And and by the way, Randall is wrong. Elias is annoying, but Randall is wrong. So anyway, um, yeah, clerks do. Let's uh, do that. Uh, we will see you all next time. Uh, try not to suck any dicks on your way to the parking lot, and we'll see you then. Does that mean you don't want something Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.